New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Despite the advances in medical care, reductions in the prevalence of certain diseases and illnesses refuse to go away. In fact, a 2005 statistic reveals that despite having less than 5% of the world's population, the United States makes up almost 50% of the global market for prescription drugs. And this figure is increasing every year as doctors prescribe more and more drugs. Today we'll be exploring the underlying message of disease. Is there a direct correlation between personally held beliefs and unexpressed emotions to the health and well-being of a person? Our guest today, Dr. Christine Page, encourages us to recognize the possibility that illness is a call from the soul. She urges us to pay attention and to examine our beliefs, as well as be honest about our feelings, in order to bring about balance in our lives. She also feels that women have an enormous contribution to make in healing the earth and humanity by getting in touch with their own sacred feminine and their natural biological cycles. Dr. Christine Page received her medical degree from the University of London in 1978. She's an international seminar leader on healing and empowerment and is the author of Frontiers of Health and The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, Health, Creativity, and Fertility of the Soul. Join us for the next hour as we explore creating a nurturing soil within the body to heal and prevent illness with our guest, Dr. Christine Page. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Christine, welcome. Thank you. So wonderful to be with you. It's wonderful to have you. Christine, I'd like to begin. You've had your own uh, healing in breast cancer. So can you tell us about your healing process in breast cancer? I think the irony was that I had just finished writing a book for women, and one of the subjects was breast cancer. (laughs) And I really was asked or stimulated to write this book because I was fed up of hearing about women who had breast cancer. And the comment was, fancy them getting breast cancer. They're such a nice person. And I wanted to scream out, that's the problem. They're too darn nice. So the irony was, just as I finished writing the book, I developed breast cancer. And I got the message, I'm too darn nice. Oh. So my healing journey 
was to allow the bitch that I wasn't allowing out from the cellar to come out and find the part of me that had lost, fallen out of love with myself. Because I recognized that I had learned so well as a child to read other people's energies, to be a nice girl. If you want to fit in, you look for approval. And you do that by reading people and pleasing them. And I had become the ultimate pleaser, but I had lost myself along the way. So when people talk about breast cancer, they often say, oh, it's because you don't love yourself. And what I said is, no, I didn't even know the self that needed loving. I had lost the self. I I just recall years ago doing some New Dimensions programming where people, where some men, very, very highly spiritual men were saying how we need to negate the ego and get beyond it. And, And they were especially talking, and there were some women on the program too, about how women need to do do that as well, men and women. And the subject came up that wait a minute, women hadn't even found their ego yet because of this syndrome of pleasing others and trying to be who they were projecting others think they should be. And and they haven't found their own path or their own way yet. So true. You know, I've in my for my practice of 35 years of being a doctor, 85% of cancer patients are nice people. 15% are, are not, but I'm saying the syndrome is known and has been known for 30 years that people who are nice tend to get cancer much more than others. And I should know because I have a family history of that. And what we have seen is that it's particularly in breast cancer, I looked at the statistics of who gets breast cancer in the world. What was fascinating, the highest levels were in Belgium, Netherlands, the UK, then the US. The lowest levels were in Japan and China, not necessarily backward countries. It wasn't about poverty. It wasn't about what you were eating. I thought, what's the difference? The difference was, I have to say, there was a strong uh, Judo-Christian belief system in many of the countries with high breast cancer rates where the message was, think of others before you think of yourself. To be a good person is to give before you receive. And I'm not necessarily blaming religion, but I am saying those messages are definitely deeply embedded in my psyche and in the psyche of many women I meet with breast cancer. Well, that brings up the whole subject of the idea that that our emotions or that our beliefs really influence our health. And there's a lot of controversy about this. So I, I would love for you to talk about how, how do you hold it? How do you look at it? I, as a doctor, cannot understand how we could separate mind, body, spirit, especially mind and body. Uh, I'm saying this is not some flaky idea I had. It's a scientific idea. When I wrote Frontiers of Health, that was almost 25 years ago, I was watching and seeing 40 patients a day in my general practice. And I was watching and saying, there's a personality linked to every illness I see. This wasn't an idea I had. It was something I was seeing every day. And I saw, wow, the person with lower back pain often feels they're unsupported by other people. The person with a heart attack feels there's no joy in their life. And the people with cancer were the ones who had most difficulty saying no. And so I wrote the book saying, you tell me an illness, I'll tell you the personality. That doesn't mean that person's wrong. That's where we've got into a a catch. This isn't about guilt. 
This is the body saying, I am offering you the opportunity to change the patterns you have at the moment. Illness is, is an opportunity to change. And I feel if we're not offering and, and that opportunity, whether as a doctor or a healthcare professional, and just rushing the person back to the old situation, that's where we see illnesses recur and recur. And I have many stories that I've seen in, in people who have shown me that. But uh, what you're saying then implies that we can control our health by what we believe and how we respond to our environment emotionally. We can, and to see illness and divorce and loss of a job as open doors that open at times of crisis. And what I'm very aware of is that at a time of a crisis, death of a loved one, a door opens so that we as a soul may actually expand our consciousness, may grow, may change. We, the door will close and we may get cured from the illness. We may have a new relationship. It doesn't mean that we won't get well if we don't pass through that door. But crisis offers us an opportunity to change. Okay, so there's an opportunity there. But there, there are environmental reasons or physiological reasons. Let's say, for, for example, um, Lyme's disease, you know, a tick bite. You know, you get a tick bite or, or TB, uh, tuberculosis, or childhood leukemia, or STDs, uh, I will or say to AIDS. you, I absolutely agree. But you give me that illness, and I'll tell you what the underlying problem is to the person's psyche. Okay, let's so say So I AIDS. would say the soil. Okay. The soil is everything. And what is your soil? Your soil is made up of your belief systems, your perceptions, which has within it the emotions that as yet haven't been expressed. But the soil is also, Christine, your, um, your, your, your weight, your elimination process, getting rid of toxins, your diet, your, you know, that's also part of it too. So it, well, it, it also is physical as well. It I isn't. Just, and I, I mean, I have worked, I'm really giving you my experience. Okay. I've worked, I worked in a clinic for 10 years in London. People had the absolute cleanest diets you could ever imagine. They had the exercise to, and they were sick. Now, I've also worked with people who ate all the wrong foods, smoked all the wrong cigarettes, and they were well. We can't justify it purely from external sources. What I am saying is, if you continually um, eat the wrong foods, you will get sick. But I would say not every smoker gets lung cancer and not every lung cancer is associated with smokers. Right. So let's flesh out a little bit more the external sources versus the emotional sources, let's say, or belief sources. Because I, I, I just want to be real clear about that because you're not saying that we have total control. If we have co total control on our emotions and we're, we're uh, uh, happy, assertive, you know, stand up for ourselves, back ourselves up, all, all of those good things, um, that we might always remain healthy. And that's where I'm suggesting that illness isn't a problem. It's often the solution, the solution. So what I'm saying is that when our soul chooses to, that we need to shift, and it may not be that we're doing anything wrong, it might just be time to change, that message will come through our intuition. But we may ignore it. 
And then the message comes stronger and stronger. And when we keep ignoring it, because it is time for us to move, the one thing that will get us to stop in our tracks is when our body gets sick. Right. The house can fall down. We can be in a divorce. We keep going. But when the body gets sick, we have to stop. And it is, I believe, the body is loving of the soul and the soul of the body much greater than the personality. What I'm saying is the body works for the soul, not for the personality. And I have seen this over and over again when someone says, oh, I can't stop. I can't take time out. And the body says, oh, you will. And they develop an illness. And that illness isn't because they've done something wrong. It's because their soul is saying it's time to move to another level. So it, if if we act as if this were true, you're saying it. there's a lot of benefit. <laughs> An awful lot of benefit. And I have worked with so many ill people and people who have had illnesses and changed. And I said, how many of you changed dramatically because of your illness? And the hands go up. I asked people, what is the what was going on when you got sick? And the thing people will say to me is, I know why I have cancer. And they say, I knew it was happening, but I needed the cancer to give me permission to get out of that lousy relationship. That puts a lot of burden on people as far as their beliefs and all sorts of things then. But to see it rather than something they've done wrong to see it as what are you gaining because of that illness. And what I'm trying to say is don't get sick in the first place. But if you do, rather than trying to fix the illness, seeing it as what is changing because you have this illness. I'm here with Dr. Christine Page. She's the author of The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, Health, Creativity, and Fertility for the Soul. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Dr. Christine Page. She's the author of The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, christinepage.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. Christine, uh, there's a lot of argument on both sides of this in, in some ways. Um, you know, there's if you look at some research that's coming out of allopathic medicine, traditional medicine, and they're going to say, oh, it's all physiological, and they'll have that all their studies over here. And then you go to some other research that's more metaphysical or emotional or therapeutic, and they'll say, no, it's all over here. 
And what I'm suggesting, there are a couple of things. One is that we know from science that the observer changes that which is being observed. So those research projects possibly that are looking at it only in the traditional medical model are going to get results that will reflect that. And those over here will also, in, in the metaphysical realm or the, the psychological or uh, emotional realm, they're going to get results over here. And what I'm suggesting is maybe it's not an either-or, because suffering and illness is a lived experience. It's not, it's, it's not in some sort of vacuum that's only physiological or only in biological and only over here, but it's, we're learning a lot in the whole field of healing and health, and we're still learning about it. So I, I just wanted to point, do you have any comment on what I've just said? I do. I, I mean, I come from both worlds, so I don't see an either or. Uh, I love the body. I love studying it. I've studied it at a pathological level. I've studied it at a physiological level, at a metaphysical level. It's all the same. Uh, what, as a doctor, we cannot say. I mean, I have done enough surgery, enough pathology to know that we still don't understand the mechanism that creates. We can describe the chemical release. We can describe an imbalance, but we can't actually describe the start point of something. And that's why I'm saying is we have to say what is the soil? What is the underlying uh, disturbance, disharmony that's going on in those tissues that allows uh, a, a virus to get in, a bacteria to get in? We are needing to go deeper. And you have to look at work, Candice Pert's work, um, where she did this remarkable work of looking at the neurotransmitters, the neuropeptides, uh, how they're released with our emotions. And then, of course, you look at how they then affect the, each cell. And then Bruce Lipton's work, which, of course, took it a step further to say that, you know, when those emotional keys uh, went into a lock, you created a change to your genetic status, which then led to a result, which might mean more happy hormones, or it might mean more insulin, or it may mean dis-ease as we see it. So in, in his work uh, in, in called epigenetics, it, it was, he was saying it wasn't so much the DNA change, but it would unlock or release that particular gene that the, the potential was there. Let's say That's somebody right. has a potential for high blood pressure. It runs in their family. Right. But one member might not get that particular uh, key to, to, to unlock that gene, and so they never suffer from that high blood pressure. That's right. Well, he would say that it's not, of course, the nucleus with the DNA in it that's important. It's the cell membrane. So he's saying it's the interface between the inner and outer world that's most important. And that interface he would describe as where your beliefs are, where your how you interact with the world. How we interact with the world is through our belief systems. Oh, I recognize that person is has a certain gender. That person has a certain... These are all our belief systems, our biases, you could say. And he would say it's those that are most important to whether or not our genetic information is, uh, is turned on or off. And therefore, he would say that if you have a 
particular uh, belief system, it creates that lock. If you don't have that lock in your, in your cell membrane, you don't react. So uh, if we all went to say the, see the same film or you know, saw the same movie, we'd come out and I'd go, oh, what about that character? And you'd go, what character? Or what are, you'd say, no, I was more in touch with that character. Right. So what he's really saying is we can only see and react to what we already have a belief system within ourselves. So this is why you're saying it's the mind, body, spirit. Yes. So it's not just the body alone. It's, it's a combination. Exactly. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I reacted to that character in the movie. Because that character in the movie was resonating within something within me. And this comes back to my, my sense of nothing out there is going to make a big statement. But I'm saying when we meet people who irritate us, we meet people who annoy us, we're actually meeting a part of us that needs to be integrated, maybe needs to be loved. When we don't get irritated by someone, they're not relevant to our life. Right. And others, somebody else may be jumping up and down. Now, we, we mentioned earlier just briefly something about guilt. Right. And so if we do manifest an illness or disease, and then we think, oh, it's my own fault. Oh, I did this to myself. Oh, my belief system. I mean, we just start beating ourselves up if we go along with this, this train of, of field of thought. And I think it's a strange one. I, I use an analogy, which is a very simple one, that if you run out of gas in your car and it says empty, do you stand there and go, oh, no, I've run out of gas, naughty person? <laughs> or do we actually say, okay, next time I'll put some gas in earlier and I look for help? Why is it that we've created this guilt trip about illness, which is only a manifestation of an experience where in many cases, I find illness gives people an opportunity to ask for help, that nothing else would have allowed them to do it. People are so scared of asking for help that illness, when they get disabled, they have to let people in. And so to me, if illness provides that ability to receive, God bless illness. Well, maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons there's so much illness, because <laughs> especially in, in Western culture, or I can say U.S. culture, we've learned to live so isolated. Right. We are individuals. We don't depend on one another. We don't want to ask for help. We, we're, we're, not, we're highly disconnected yes. from one another. Yes, and we don't trust, and that's the sad part. And I do see so many people saying, I feel disabled by, by this illness, and yet it's because of that I've had to let people in. And I see that whether it's a fibroid in a woman, you know, women who are so proud of that, or lower back pain. When your back goes, you have to let people in. So many of these illnesses are just really trying to break down old beliefs that people can't be trusted. Yes. Or yes. I'm not worthy to be loved. Uh, much of your book is also dedicated to the female body and the divine feminine. And uh, I, I'd love to talk about that, too. Uh, in, in You say, you make the statement that healing the earth and humanity is, is something that women can really step up to be a part of by um, getting in touch with their own natural cycles. So say something about that, please. So when I started to look at why women may get sick. You know, this was my original thought of why do women get breast cancer? And then I went, well, what are their belief systems? 
So I thought, well, okay, we've got belief systems about uh, from our mothers, our grandmothers, from our family. And then we have belief systems about women, being a woman. <laughs> and then I went all the way back and I thought, how far back do women have to go before they actually know who they are? And I recognize we have about 3,500 years of amnesia, a collective amnesia, that for that period of time, women have really lost themselves and have often turned to men for the answer. And men have said, oh, I know who I want you to be. <laughs> so we've long lived into that, that belief system. And I believe that women have a fundamental role, which can't be found in role models necessarily out in, in our outer world. The one thing that hasn't changed over millions of years is the female body. So what I did was I said, okay, the body must have the answers to who we are meant to be. And what makes us different between men and women? And that is we have a uterus, we have a vagina, we have breasts, men have breasts but not so developed, and we have a very highly attuned pineal gland. And so I went in search of saying, what is it about these organs? And they're linked to the cycles, which are so in touch with the cycles of the moon and the earth, that can give me some greater understanding of what is a woman's purpose on this earth. And that purpose really shows up in the cycles, especially the menstrual cycle. You see, I was looking at, well, what does every woman do? And so I thought, well, does every woman, is every woman a mother? And in fact, the figures are now about 40% of 40-year-old women are not mothers. So actually, no, not every mother, woman is a mother. What does every woman do? For 35 years, <laughs> she bleeds. She has a menstrual cycle. I went, wow, I don't know a woman who didn't do that. You know, yes. I've been in a doctor and I don't know women right. who don't do that. Yes. We have 420 cycles over a 35-year period, give or, give or take a few. The average birth rate for a woman is 1.2 children. I do not think the great mother would have wasted 418 cycles just in case she fancied getting pregnant. I mean, even if it, even if a woman has an extraordinary number of, of pregnancies, let's say 20, exactly, that would be really extraordinary. There's still another 400 yes. cycles where she could have. Yes. So, so, so what I, did you come up I with? I came with that we are not here to have children necessarily. We can have children, but I like to say that at this moment, this planet is on overpopulation. We don't necessarily need more children. <laughs> we need more wisdom. And I believe every month a woman gives birth to wisdom, to inspiration. And this was very much part of the Native American's belief was that at the end of a woman's moon time, her period, she would come out having received the wisdom, share it with the family. The family would go off and do whatever she suggested and at the end of the month, they would come back and talk to her about their success, their things they're finishing with, and she would then take the things that were finished, belief systems, emotions, and transform them from a belief to blood. And on the first day of her menses, she would purify not only herself, but her family of all that is finished so that three days later, she can give birth to something new. So that's like a death and rebirth Absolutely. Cycle. And everything in, that I studied in the mythology and the ancient people showed me that women are much more aligned to this death and birth experience than even the giving birth of just a child. And if every woman 
she clued into that, she would be the most powerful woman out there. Because when women die every month, that means they die to their old. They become powerful because they no longer have a fear of death, which has been one of the greatest uh, problems for women. They have been threatened. Where women's power comes from their emptiness and then their ability to fill up and give birth. I'm here with Dr. Christine Page. She's the author of The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, Health, Creativity, and Fertility for the Soul. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Christine Page, and she's a medical doctor with many, many years of practice, and she is the author of The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, Health, Creativity, and Fertility for the Soul. And if you'd like to know more about her work, you can go to her website, christinepage.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And we're talking about this biological cycles that women have that are uniquely female. And Christine, I'm thinking for myself, one of the thoughts that I had about my own menses through the, through the years was that it gave me, and it goes along with what you're saying, it gave me the opportunity to let go. I, I mean, there's a, there's a tremendous letting go that that is forced upon the female body. There's there well, there's I was going to say there's no way of stopping it. However, <laughs> these days there are now prescriptions that women can take to stop their menses, and they can make it you know where they feel. It's not convenient to have it for this time or this time. What do you have to say about that uh, new wrinkle? <laughs> I, I really uh, hear that and understand that. Uh, our young people uh, from 15 onwards are now having patches, injections, tablets, uh, really because the period is, is, as you say, inconvenient, coming at the wrong time. And anyway, why bother with any of that? Maybe have a period every once or twice a year, maybe not at all. And they're being persuaded by my own profession to do that as well as themselves. I have to say that my mother always called it the curse. My, my, my <laughs> mother called it falling off the roof. Have you ever heard of that one? <laughs> so I even, in my 40s, she would say, oh, have you got the curse again? Mother, please don't say that anymore. But I think my generation, maybe slightly younger and certainly older, saw it as the curse of women. Something that really was a bad thing, and that was the belief systems we've carried for all these years. So I'm not surprised our young women have said, well, why not just take something that stops it altogether? I will say when women stop cycling and bleeding, we are in dire straits as a planet, as a human race. Because it's only through the purification of women, the emptying out of the old, that we can create anything new. 
And what my, my concern is, is that women are not understanding that the, they are the soil for all new births, whether it's a new idea, a dream, a baby. But when the soil is rotten and nobody's turned it over and it remains as it is, doesn't matter how inspirational that seed is, you're still going to get the same result as you've had in the past. It is the soil that, could, that influences that idea as to whether it will manifest or not. So you're saying it's good to, to, to turn the soil over, so to speak, yes. in a monthly cycle, that, that's, that there's something nourishing the soil of our physiological body. And our, psyche, and our psyche and our consciousness. So just as it's winter now here with us, I'm out there digging up the old roots, uh, plants that aren't going to make it through the, this, the winter. Uh, the trees are dropping their leaves, which are now being transformed into compost. Women have to get in there and find out what is sitting in their sacral chakra, what's sitting in their womb that is not working for them. And they keep creating that same consciousness over and over again. And to me, on a monthly basis, a woman's job is to expand and change the consciousness of her family. Do, do you have some exercises that you recommend that people are, you know, you know, meditations or something that, that people can do, that women can do during this time? Absolutely. And I will talk to myself, who is a postmenopausal lady, as well as those who are still cycling. So I'm going to say, if you're not cycling now... You choose the three days around the new moon. They are the most powerful times for a woman, not the full moon. The new moon, the dark moon, is when women are in their power because that's when there is no light. That's the masculine, and you only have the darkness of the moon. So the day before the new moon, and one has to look at your calendar because, of course, we can't see the moon in the sky then. The day before is the day of purification. And I'll tell, explain the ritual. The, the day of the new moon is the day of nurturing, and the day after the new moon is the day of inspiration. If a woman is cycling still, then she does that on the first three days of her period. So that's how she aligns. If every woman uh, aligned to this, she would actually have a period during the dark moon. But it's no, worry, no need to worry. Now, on the first day, a woman is clearing out her womb her womb is the transformational cauldron. And if I was cycling, what I, well, let me say a few days before that day, what a woman wants to do is say, what is it I've done this month? What are the gems of wisdom I've gained this month? And what am I ready to let go of this month? She must gather the gems of wisdom. Otherwise, the experience has no purpose. So she has to say there had to be a purpose in it. What did I learn? What did I gain? And she takes that to her heart, which brings her to be more enlightened, more open. Then on that first day, the day before the new moon or the first day of her period, she either chooses to actually squat on the earth and bleed onto the earth that some women still do, or metaphorically she chooses to say, I shed this blood back to the great mother for her to transform this. This is no longer needed. As a postmenopausal lady, I take a glass of water and I put those things I'm finished with in, by intention in that water and I pour it onto the earth. This is best done at sunset. Then I will spend a little bit of time just being with Mother Earth to say, Mother Earth, support me. And then the last thing I do before I go to bed, I allow what I call the dragon queen energy, which of which we've become dis detached from, 
but we have this very strong energy that is women's power that lives beneath the earth. And I draw that up into my womb, so I fill myself having emptied myself. The second day, I spend a day of nurturing myself, a heart-centered, you know, being kind to myself. And on the third day, at sunrise, I spend some time in meditation, allowing this dragon energy to rise up, open like a cup above my head, and draw down what is the dream, the idea, the inspiration that I'm giving birth to this month. And on the fourth day, I share it with my family, and so, we go through the process again. So this is, this is kind of going along with, as you mentioned earlier, the Native American um, way where women would separate themselves from the tribe and go into their, their own particular place and do this. Exactly, okay. exactly. In very red tent. But this is why women, of course, have been told that they're unclean at this time, they're dirty at this time, they're bad at this time. The truth is, no, no, no. I want to say, think of the power that it takes to take belief systems and turn it into blood. Women are so powerful at this time, men don't want to be around them. <laughs> Men would also, or family, you should not make food for your family during these three days because literally all you're going to do is put all those belief systems back into the food that they're going to eat. So no man would want to eat the food of a woman during this time. He would cook the food. And at the same time, a man, you know, having sex with a man during this time is not a good idea because she's so powerful. She can actually draw energy out of him. So yes, it's a Native American idea. It's many indigenous peoples who say during those three days, a woman is so powerful in her transformative qualities and she is cleansing for the family. They would want her to have this special time on her own. Now, if she's going to work, she goes to work, but she takes care that she doesn't, if she can help it, be around people who she may, you know, it takes a little bit more time if she can to be on her own. So it's really being very conscious of our physiological being in these cycles, being very conscious. I mean, and normally we, we, we have ways of just kind of disregarding it. Absolutely. And not even thinking about it. With the modern conveniences, we're not even thinking about it. But, but you're saying that we need to bring it into our consciousness and even postmenopausal to, to, as you say, the new moon, to do the rituals. To do the rituals, which is far more powerful than uh, trying to, you know, uh, I'll do it for you. Women are so good at saying, look, you just come into my womb and I'll try and help you change. It doesn't work. We have to call on our family, our, the people we love, to say, what are you gaining from this experience? What are you taking? I will get rid of what you don't need, but first you have to be responsible for it. And that's real love. Not just saying, oh, I'm going to carry you on my shoulders or on, your, on my breast. I'm going to call you in as a wise woman and say, I will help you transform, but first you must take the best out of this situation. You've had a couple of experiences uh, with, it, with your period at some point when, in conjunction with nature. One was a humpback whale yes. experience and another was a, on a lake in Guatemala. Can you say something about those experiences? Yes, women, the womb is the place of transformation. We could also say it's the place of grief, so that grief is that which we are um, ready to let go of, the process of grief. 
And so I have a tendency to be extremely sensitive to grief that's around me and using my womb to try and clear it. So I would have uh, extreme experiences of very heavy periods when I wasn't on a period. And that was the experience I had in Guatemala uh, when literally I was on this boat. I didn't have a period. All of a sudden I'm flooding. Uh, I couldn't hardly get off the boat. And I did manage to, to find pads and et cetera. But afterwards, I learned of how many people had died in that area and that I was really weeping for, their, for that energy. I had another experience when Princess Diana died, exactly the same. I didn't have my period, and yet on the day she died, I'm flooding, and I had to go into the bathroom and wring out my trousers and my pants, and I feel I'm just crying for everybody. You mentioned uh, Princess Diana uh, specifically as as kind of the embodiment of um, or epitomize the 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 uh, many different faces of yes. the feminine. Yes. Say something about that. Well, she please. was definitely the wounded child. She was the girl looking for the prince. <laughs> she was the you could say the manipulative woman. She was the lover of her boys. She was the idealist. She was the compassionate soul. I feel she carried so many of those faces. She was the wise woman. Uh, I believe that she came into the world, which she really was a world character, to reveal all these faces and none of them being judged, all of them being part of the feminine. Right, right. She certainly did embody many, as you say, what a, a fierce mother. Yes. And and she would all of her work in the uh, landmines yes. and and AIDS yes. and going to AIDS patients, and yet she was this physically beautiful, yes. beautiful woman and marrying the prince <laughs> and not the happily ever after. <laughs> so and it was no wonder people went into deep grief when, yes. when she was taken from us. I think on a female level, and I also think she woke up the feminine in all of us. Uh, the, the pure feminine, the, the hurt feminine, the suppressed feminine, um, but also the powerful love of her children. I, I think it worked so much in us all when she died. Definitely, definitely, I do. I, I as well. I'm here with Dr. Christine Page. She is the author of The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, Health, Creativity, and Fertility for the Soul. And if you want to know more about her work, go to her website, christinepage.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Christine Page. She's the author of The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, Health, Creativity, and Fertility for the Soul. Christine, um, there are three metaphors that you use in the book, the dragon queen, the mother cow metaphor, and the queen bee metaphor. So let's let's touch on each one of those, if, if we will, please. So when I was looking at the feminine uh, and looking at women, I was amazed how disconnected we'd got. We'd got disconnected from the below, we'd got disconnected from our hearts, and we got disconnected from the above. The below is the dragon queen. The dragon queen, the best way of looking at it, is the lava that flows within the earth. We often say Mother Earth as a kind of bland, I'm not bland, but it's all the prettiness on the surface. I'm saying is beneath that is this lava, this strong energy which is within every woman. And we got disconnected from that uh, during 3,000 years ago where the patriarchy cut off the below from our bodies. And so people talk about kundalini energy and it being asleep. And what I realized is it, it will always sleep while it's cut off from the dragon. And so the underworld became this fiery place that we must never go to, when actually the underworld is the only place we should go to. So I'm thinking that in, in modern culture, postmodern culture, we, we come very much from our throat chakras. We're, we're talkers. We're just, you know, up here. Being in touch with our gut, our lower chakras, right. is, is not what's happening. And, and so our voice isn't coming from that, that deep-rooted place. Absolutely right. So in that process I was talking about, the emptying out, the sitting in, and then drawing up, we draw that energy, that dragon, into our womb and in other words, it would be the womb would be the uterus or the utterer from where we utter. And so we sh women's wisdom and where they should speak from is in their sacral chakra, their womb, their, their, the belly of them. When women speak from up in their throat chakra, which you hear a lot of people speaking from up there, it's a masculine voice. And when women are speaking from their throat chakra, it's telling me how scared they are because of the immense emotions they have in their womb that they can't go to. And yet, when you hear a woman speak from that deep place, it's riveting. It's like you just you straighten up and you really hear it. It's like it gets your total attention. Exactly. And it's not coming out of anger. No. It's just coming out of some other place. And when it happens... It's powerful. I, I, I think of Elizabeth Warren in this country right, right. now, the senator, yes. uh, that, that I, I hear her coming from that kind of voice. Yes. And that place is the place of relationship. So the sacral chakra says, I want relationship. The throat chakra says, actually, I don't care if I'm in relationship with you. I want me to be an authority. So when people speak from their throat chakra, they don't listen to others. As you say, nobody engages with someone speaking from there. But when they speak from the sacral chakra, you're saying, I want to relate to you. I want to respect you. It's a much better place for women to come from. How about the uh, mother-cow metaphor? I use that, and I know that may not be uh, completely nice, but it is the truth is that back in the Egyptian times, the Hathor, Isis, symbolized, was symbolized by the great cow. 
the and so many of the images we have from that time is with Hathor and Isis with these wonderful horns, and we call it a bull, but it wasn't a bull; it was a cow, and so that she had many nipples. And many of the goddesses from back that time have these nipples, Artemis with lots of nipples. So I'm not being derogatory. I'm saying is from our heart, we have this ability to have these multiple breasts. But when it comes to the heart chakra and the area of the, around that, the breasts, a woman has a role as a mother or as a lover. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying those who you hold to your heart, there is a time to hold and a time to push away. And when we hold too long, we are not serving that person. And we push them away too early, we're not serving them. So as a mother, it's five years. We should hold that child to our breast and give them security and comfort and confidence so that at five years, they are confident enough to actually walk on their own on Mother Earth. If we're pushed off too early before five years, we get problems with our heart and our breast. If we're held too long, we get problems with our heart and our breast and our immune system. So when we talked about immune problems earlier on, I would want to know, do you feel you're loved and lovable or were you pushed too early from the breast? Mm -hmm. Or are you taking care of everybody else because you think that's the only way you know how to get love? You went on a trip uh, to a very famous mountain in, in Nepal, I believe, Annapurna. Yes. And and are, are mountains kind of part of that metaphor? The big mountains all are named. Annapurna is the actual meaning of its word is I think that I haven't got quite, but the breasts that give milk because it's always that glacial water that looks like milk. Um, Everest, its real name means the ever abundant mother. So all the mountains around us, and we've got this wonderful Mount Tamopias is the same, these sleeping ladies. And it's a feminine. It's a yeah, feminine. Yeah, right. So everything that's round is always the feminine. Everything that's got straight lines to it is always masculine. So when I'm traveling anywhere in the world, I look at the temples that are round and know they were dedicated to the feminine. And when you go back into history, and you mention this in your book, that was co-opted, like in the Grecian times, the Grecian myths, they took over the mountains, the gods, then it became Mount Olympus and where the gods resided. That's right. And that's what happened, unfortunately, when the Greeks, the Romans came in. Every great goddess was either married off or she was suppressed completely. Or she was made a whore, which was really what Venus, what happened to Venus and Aphrodite. They became the harlot rather than the sacred woman, which is really the meaning of the word. And then we've talked in other programs how the the two Marys, uh, the Virgin Mary is is without a lot of power, and right. and and then Mary Magdalene is pushed off as the prostitute. She's yet, exactly, and many you know I say to the Catholic anybody who's brought up in a Catholic way or Christian way, you can't exist without the three faces of the goddess. So every tradition has three faces to the goddess: the Virgin Mother, Crone. To get rid of Mary Magdalene, who was the crone, means that that religion can never, ever transform. It's stuck unless you take ownership with Mary Magdalene. And, and then if, if there was a feminine part of the Trinity, it got turned into, like, Sophia, wisdom turned into the Holy Spirit. You're right. And Sophia was part of Lilith. And Lilith, of course, was the snake and the owl, the owl of wisdom and the snake of creativity. But way back in the days of Inanna, Inanna was scared. The, the Sumerian goddess was scared of Lilith, so she had it chopped down. The tree was chopped down 
of the tree that represented by the owl and the right. snake. And so they got split. And that really was t- telling us that was the time around the Sumerian times when the separation happened between the mind of the feminine and the energy Which of the feminine. Which would have been about 5,000 years ago. Uh, yes, around that yes. time. A little bit, probably that 3,500 years right. was when it really got uh, right. deeply split. And now we come to the third metaphor, the queen bee. Tell us about the queen bee. Well, I just love the queen bee because when I was doing this research, my higher self kept saying, look at the bee, look at the bee. And I really said, why am I looking at bees? <laughs> and then when I researched the bee, oh my goodness, I learned that, of course, honey is a natural antibiotic, but it's eternal. You, honey doesn't go off. And that they used to put... It, it doesn't spoil. It doesn't mean. spoil, excuse me. Yes, yes uh-huh. it doesn't spoil. Yes. It, you can't spoil it. It's, uh, and it's an amazing substance. And that's why they used to put honey in uh, chambers where people have died because it was to give them eternal life. It was the food for eternity. They also always, in many, many places I visit, which are places of transformation, they would sh- have little cells where they would understand that the, the bee goes through the phases of life. We're born as a small bee, uh, a small uh, uh, insect, <laughs> and then we go into the larva, and then the pupa where we surround ourselves with cloth, and then we come out as the adult. And they revered the bee for these stages of life that we all need to go through, not just as age, but every month, that we go through these cycles where we give birth, we are the the full moon, but then we have to go inside and bury ourselves to come out again as the new one. Now, when we use the term, oh, well, she's just a queen bee, it's a a derogatory term, so you're using it in a different way. I am. I'm saying is the queen bee has actually... Uh, overcome the fear of life and death. The whole part of a woman's power comes from her lack of fear of death. And that isn't just at the end of her life. Every month, if we were taught how to die on that one day to be reborn, we would be so powerful. So the queen bee has actually walked between the worlds and she no longer has a problem being in one world or another I meet a lot of people who are stuck in between those worlds. They're neither fully here nor fully there. That's not the same. We need to learn how to live fully here and have the pleasure of the earth, as well as recognizing that that also will dissolve and we can release that hold on that pleasure to be able to move to another uh, dimension every month. So we need to enjoy the earth fully and we need to recognize we don't live here fully. But some, many people I meet are stuck in the middle. They're neither enjoying it, nor can they leave. So they're fearful about the future, about death, and, and so that's holding them back. Or they're fearful of life. I meet more people who are scared of living than they are of dying. They have never, because they're so scared of letting go of their spirit, so-called spiritual connection, they never live life fully. They never commit fully to their existence here on Earth. Oh, Christine... Thank you so much for being with us today on New Dimensions. It's been my absolute pleasure, Justin. It's such a pleasure sitting here with you. Thank you. I've been here with Dr. Christine Page. She's the author of The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, Health, Creativity, and Fertility for the Soul. And if you'd like to know more about her work, you can go to her website, christinepage.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.com.
www.newdimensionsradio.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3486. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.